Hey, this is Ali Ballas, and I am a victim of the 2020 lockdown. All joking aside, I just want to hang, and I've heard a lot of people saying the same, and sometimes with people who I don't even know. And as we've come to realize, that is not okay during a pandemic. Even though we can't meet in person, doesn't mean we can't get outside of our bubble. This is about learning new things, stepping outside, and all while staying home. Just because we can't hang, there still can't hang. This week on Can't Hang, I speak with Pooja Honda, best known currently for her role at CP24. Pooja and I speak about her journey into broadcasting, the hustle that goes into being in broadcasting, her wild schedule, and some of her career highlights. We also get into the ways that COVID-19 has affected our lives and how difficult it is to have foresight during a pandemic. And now it is my pleasure to introduce you to Pooja Honda. As I mentioned this week, I'm welcoming Pooja, who's best known in like, I guess the Toronto area for her role at CP24, which, you know, I was just watching this morning. So welcome Pooja. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me. So then you know that I've been up since 3 a.m. Yeah, I wasn't watching that part, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you get the like the perkiest part of my day because my work day is done. I'm still have all this energy from, you know, being on a high from the show, Mm -hmm. but in about an hour's time, I will hit the wall and there would be no point in talking to me because it's just a lot of mumbling that would come out of my mouth. That's really funny. I actually just finished yesterday reading Marcy Ian's book um, and she was talking about her time at Canada AM saying the same thing. Like it's like just you get into this weird like schedule and then once she started working at the social, of course, she got to like live this whole normal life schedule, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. You have to have very understanding uh, family and friends and partners because it's so opposite of what anybody else does. I'm in bed at eight o'clock and my husband is still up and it's great because he gets to watch whatever he wants. He gets you know, the TV and the remote to himself, uh, which is nice because we we sort of like having our separate lives and then our lives together. Mm-hmm. But it can be, I'm sure in certain scenarios, like really, really tough on the social life and, you know, just even going out for dinner, we have to wrap things up by 7.30 so I can get home. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually something that like you don't even think about. Like, yeah. When you watch these shows, you're just like, I don't think about like that. But actually in contrast to that, I feel like you guys on CP24 do a really good job of like bringing your own personalities, which I feel like a lot of other morning shows, not to discredit them or anything, but like are more like, I don't know, static. And like, I feel like you guys are like so <laughs> jokey and like me and my mom like love watching it. Like in the summer I had a a job and I would get up and I would like watch Dr. Isaac Bogosh and then Gurdip and then you guys and like it was just like such a rhythm and I'm like okay I'm gonna be late for work if I miss Isaac Bogosh on the news today like oh that's so nice to hear yeah yeah of course I feel like it's just so nice to see like like people like on the news like as opposed to just like these like figureheads yeah, you know, I think it helps that you, Gurdip and I are friends. Um, Bill and I have worked together and are friends. Um, we worked together for almost, uh, I would say, over 15 years. And when you feel like the people you work with are your friends and you hang out, we all hang out outside of work before the pandemic, at least we did. Mm. Um, you know, you kind of feel like you're just coming to work and you're talking 
to your friends and you're having a discussion. So it's really easy to be yourself and to be really comfortable. And I don't, I think if any of us even tried to pretend the other person would call us out, so <laughs> <laughs> we would just be embarrassed on air. Uh, by really them so I feel like as like someone in media, whatever, like I said, us as viewers, like get to see all of you for like being real people. I think that's really cool to see, just as I mentioned. So how did this like journey into broadcasting begin for you? Like, was it always kind of an aspiration or um, was it something you kind of fell into? Well, it's one of those things where I think I always sort of thought about it growing up watching the news. I always thought, oh, day I'd like to be able to do something like that. But my dream was actually to be an actress. And I thought, I'm going to move to New York City at 18 years old, which I did. I'm going to, you know, audition for a bunch of different things. I'm going to be famous, and that's it. I'll be an actress, and that's sort of the story. That's the dream. Um, so I did. I moved to New York City, went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, spent all my parents' money that they had been saving up since I was two years old to pay for all of my tuition for my four years of what they thought was going to be university life that I blew in one year uh, in New York. So it was just so expensive mm. to even go to school there. Um, and I got there and realized, oh my gosh, at 18, I was so in over my head, had no idea what was happening in the world. I was out of my bubble of living with my parents and, uh, you know, finances and being able to be able to even work. I wasn't allowed to do that legally. So mm. it was really, financially. It was really hard not knowing anybody and really hard, competitively speaking, to be in that space going for auditions. You know, first of all, nobody looked like me. Mm -hmm. There was that. Um, And maybe that wasn't sort of the time. I don't know. But, you know, it it was just a lot. And I thought that all I could do was sort of have a dream, follow it, and, and it would come. And I realized a lot of life lessons in that you can do a lot of the right things, but maybe not at the right time. Mm-hmm. And it's me to think about what else I was good at. And so when I came back to Toronto uh, to go back to school to finish my education uh, post-secondary, I thought, what am I really good at? And I thought the performing part of things is there with the acting and then the academics. So broadcast journalism just sort of seemed like a natural fit for me. Mm-hmm. And I think it is a good fit coming from like that world, like totally that is just like so cool to me that you got to go to New York and like, like obviously for every 18 year old, that would seem like a dream too. But obviously like reality check, like even just like someone like myself who moved like just across the province, like from the GTA to like London to go to Western, like that was like a, like not a culture shock, but like, you're like, oh my God, like my parents really did do everything for me. Like when they said they did everything for me, like they did do everything for me. And like, I can't imagine like going to such a big city like that, but obviously so cool. Um, so how did that kind of come about? Like, did you have to kind of audition for like those types of schools or like, I, like, I don't know anything about acting at all. So like, how, how did you like get into these schools or like kind of approach that? Yeah, there was a, an audition process for, uh, the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, but you know, I went to an arts high school, okay. so I was kind of do auditioning for everything. I never got anything. I never got any roles, but um, I I felt pretty passionately about that audition. And I thought I did well, well enough that I got in, which was great. Um, But the way that works is over time, uh, you can't just go there. They have to, like, you go there for the first year and then they sort of have to invite you to continue. And I couldn't afford to live there anymore anyway. So I had to 
I had to come back home. But with that said, um, yeah, the process was, was that simple. I, I, I went there for an audition and then a few months later I found out I got in and I was at a time where back then, at least in high school, you did five years of high school before you went to university. So I was a year ahead. So I kind of had a year to play with. Mm -hmm. So it didn't be back in any way academically. So when I got back and I applied for universities, I was sort of in line with the rest of my class. Okay, great. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, And whenever people say that, I'm like, man, I could not have done five years of high school. Like (laughs) by grade 12, like even like the middle of grade 12, I'm like, get me out of here. Even university to an extent, you're like over it by like the fourth year or whatever. But um, so whenever people talk about that time, I'm like, man, like that's perseverance. Yeah, I felt the same way. I was like, really? But you know, I think the way it worked, was we had a lot of spares, you know, you weren't really going to class all day. And by the time you got to your fifth year, because you had done most of those courses or you had taken them in the summer, that fifth year was really like uh, not a full, uh, complete year, I think. Mm -hmm. So it's a good part of it. Yeah, for sure. Um, My mom went to college, so she didn't have to do it. And she was like, so I guess at her time, like she was so ahead of everyone because like she was like graduating from college, like when people were going into their first year of um, whatever of university. So um, some people like obviously didn't have to do that, but it just seems crazy to me. So anyway, you're back in Canada and then you go to your post-secondary education. You're back in like Toronto, I guess. How do you kind of like emerge into broadcasting as we know you now? Like it doesn't start like where you are now. Like how did you kind of break into that industry? Well, I know you interned at Maryland Mm -hmm. and I interned a lot too. I actually interned first at Global News. So I worked behind the scenes. I interned at Rogers Local uh, in Mississauga where I grew up. And then I also um, was basically interning everywhere I could. So I also interned at a radio station, basically networking and and also just seeing, because I think there's a real opportunity to see if this is something you really want to do when you're actually immersed in it and you get to see all the inner workings Mm -hmm. of goes on. So I was doing all of that sort of behind the scenes. But while I was at Global, I was interning for this woman named Christine Crosby. She was the health reporter there. And, um, you know, I sort of just went above and beyond and really tried to impress her. And she was kind enough after my internship ended to go into her boss's office and say, you got to hire this girl. Like, she's really great. She's really ambitious, um, really gung-ho. And I think she'll be great. So they hired me behind the scenes as an editorial assistant. And um, that basically meant that I answered phone calls. I, you know, if we had a CNN feed that was coming in, I would record it. Uh, I would roll the teleprompter for the talent. I'd print off their scripts. I'd get coffee supplies, all of those things, but I got paid to do it. So um, that part was nice to actually be able to, you know, support myself that way. Mm-hmm. But over time, I wanted to be on air and eventually... At Global, they were launching a morning show. And because I worked there, they had to give me an interview. And I was this person right out of university. I was 24 years old, not exactly somebody who had a whole lot of experience on air. The only experience I had was from the interning I had been doing. And I applied for the show. And of course, with my limited experience, they didn't really take me that seriously, I don't think. And I think it was more of a, we have to give you this interview. So let's just sort of get through it. I think it lasted five minutes. (laughs) So that was that. But while all that was happening, I had 
been given a job offer at Rogers where I was interning and it was also paid. So I gave my notice at Global, said I'm I'm leaving to go to this other job. And they said, wait, don't take that other job. And I said, why? And they said, well, we're actually considering you for, for the morning show at Global. And I said, that's impossible. <laughs> I had a five-minute interview. Uh, how, what are you talking about? And they said, well, the truth is, we already knew who we were going to hire. We offered the job to that person. She turned it down. And now we're two weeks to launch and we don't have anybody. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah. So they looked at my tape and um, I guess they hadn't looked at it before that, but they looked at my tape and I think they thought I was capable. So they hired me as a traffic reporter on a morning show and they were really kind enough to believe in me and to give me my first start because, um, you know, I, albeit being at the right place at the right time, I think they did recognize that there was potential. So I ended up doing that for five years. And then I heard that CP24 was rebranding as a breaking news station and they were relaunching under new ownership. And I applied there and I ended up getting a job at CP24 as a reporter, anchor. Um, and then I also was a host and I did everything. I did radio. I did everything you can think of. Every job at CP24, <laughs> I, uh, which was great because it really helped me become a better broadcaster. Yeah, no, that's a really crazy story. I feel like all of, like, that's what I'm kind of, I don't know, getting used to maybe. I'm reading like a lot of books right now. Obviously we're in lockdown for, I guess, an extended time now. So I feel like I've been reading all these things and everyone's like, oh, you're just like at the right place at the right time. And I think that that's, you know, some people take that as like, oh, well, that's impossible to plan. But I think for me, I'm like, okay, well, how can I be as many places as I can be then? Like, like <laughs> yeah. I want to be like everywhere then. Like, how can I be here, there and everywhere? And like, I think that that's like so important is just taking these internships. And I think, you know, a big problem, I guess right now, I don't know if it's a problem for everyone, but is like in unpaid internships are just becoming like so saturated in it. And obviously it becomes for someone like me, I can afford it. I mean, barely, but I can afford to do it because of like my socioeconomic status or whatever. Um, but some people are completely blackballed because they, you know, they can't afford to take these internships. So I think that's just, you know, one, something that's kind of happening that's always happened that I guess is now being challenged, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and it is. And just, so you know, um, it was actually something that I even brought up. We were having a lot of uh, learning sessions as of late and uh, just that's sort of the barrier to entry. And you're right. It absolutely, the system is the way it's designed now is not set up to help people from lower income backgrounds, to be able to help BIPOC. There's so many obstacles uh, and, and so hard to get in. Why should, first of all, why should you have to be a student to be able to intern? You know, mm. if you have a wanting to be on TV, you shouldn't have to have a, a course that you're taking that requires you to do this. It should be something that you're able to come in and do an internship and get paid for your time while you're there. So these things are all being discussed and I have a feeling that's going to change. Um, so I'm, you know, keeping my fingers crossed. I will say that the other thing that I didn't mention while all of this was going on is I was practicing uh, behind the scenes. So even though I wasn't on air, I was doing everything I could to hone my skills behind the scenes. So while I was volunteering at Rogers and I, I had some on-air stuff there, I was really trying to make sure I was refining what I was doing. And I would do that thing in front of the mirror where I'd grab a 
a hairbrush and pretend I was a reporter and, you know, and practice my on air, my sort of performance part of things too. So I do think that, yes, you definitely want to be able to set yourself up where you are in positions where you're making connections and you're networking, but you also have to have the talent to back it up. And that's what you can be doing in the off time, Mm -hmm. right? When you're not in these positions where you're meeting those people is really honing in on those skills of whatever it is that you want to do, becoming really good at that talent that you possess. Yeah. I think that's such a, such a great thing to add because yeah, you're right. Like you could have all the connections in the world, but you know, if, if you don't work hard enough or if you like really don't have the skills that you need and not even that you don't have them because some people really aren't like born with that, but like they practice and practice and practice. And then obviously, like you said, like they become this, this powerhouse. (laughs) Um, So I think that that's so important too. So obviously there's a lot of things and obviously I got to see firsthand for myself that um, make working in broadcasting seem glamorous and dreamy. And what is one thing (laughs) that, you know, positive or negative that people don't know about working in broadcasting that you'd, you know, really like them to know? I think it's, uh, it would just be that it's harder than it looks. I think that sometimes you watch people and you go, oh, I'd love to do that. That would be so fun. And it is fun. Don't get me wrong. That's why we do it. That's why I wake up at three o'clock in the morning, Uh, but it is hard and it's on so many levels that it's hard. I just mentioned off the top there, how much you have to give up in terms of a personal life, in terms of having a normal sort of life with normal hours, that's all out the window. So you sacrifice a lot, but also the ability to be yourself on TV, the ability to ad lib, the ability to think on your feet, that stuff just doesn't come naturally. It's not, there's nothing natural about what we do on TV. You have an earpiece in your ear. Somebody's talking to you. You have a, a time limit. You can only speak for a certain amount of time, but you're having a conversation. So you're supposed to be natural and in the moment, you know, you're reading off a teleprompter, but you're not reading everything off a teleprompter. You don't know what the person you're interviewing is going to say. So you've got to react and be present. There's so much at play that's going on. That's unnatural. And then to try to be in that moment as natural as possible, it, it's a very difficult thing to do. And it and it's something that I still struggle with, something I'm still working on um, after all these years, almost 20 years in the business. But uh, I think the people who do it best make it look easy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like, you know, like anything, like I always think of it as, you know, the best people on TV, like they're going to make it look easy because they are practicing like every day. It's like, just like watching, you know, the Raptors game, like they, like, yeah, it does look easy when they're playing and like, yeah, the <laughs> Leafs players, like they make it look super easy. But like, if you think that you're just going to like walk up and, and be that, then like, I think for, you know, one in a million, that's going to be fine. But the rest of you, like, uh, you're sorely mistaken. So I always like to think about any job like that, whether you're in, you know, like anything really, if you don't practice, like you're not going to be as good as the people that do practice all the time. So I guess as someone uh, who's in like the public eye in Toronto, you get to attend some like really cool events like TIFF, like the Raptors parade, stuff like that, just to name a few. So what has been your favorite experience that you've gotten to go to or attend because of your position? Wow. There's, I mean, there's so many, I'm so blessed that I get invited to some of these things and it's, it's great, but also at the same time, as I mentioned with an 8 PM bedtime, uh, been times where I'm out and I'm doing the the countdown. I'm like, okay, if I get home 
I leave now, I'll still get three hours of sleep for work tomorrow. <laughs> It's, it is fun, but it, at the same time, you still have your responsibilities of work. Uh, I would say the, the Raptors championship parade was a career highlight for me just because I had never seen anything like that in, in my lifetime, in my time on air, a celebration like that, you know, uh, hundreds of thousands of people lining the streets. We all connected as a country came together behind our team. Uh, just, you know, all of that and being a part of it, being part of the coverage is something that, you know, years from now, when I'm able to tell stories to my great grandchildren, I'll be able to talk about that moment. And it's, you know, it was a part of history that I got to be a part of. So I would pick that one, but there's so many that have been great over the years. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and that, definitely goes without saying Toronto is such like a great place, not just for events, but just for like, honestly, like day-to-day life. I find Toronto so exciting. Um, so obviously as I understand you, are you a first generation Canadian? Am I right in saying that? Yeah. You know, it's, it's weird because I, I would be a second generation because my parents immigrated here in Canada in the seventies. And so we would be, my sister and I would be the first generation that grew up in Canada, but I guess technically speaking, we'd be second generation. So I think they both, they both. (laughs) All the above. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Um, But I think that's so cool. And I love Toronto because like, not, I mean, there's always work to be done, but um, on the news outlets right now, there's so much diversity on the screen. Of course, like I said, there's always work to be done, but it is nice to see. But I did actually, if you haven't read this book, I would strongly encourage anyone to. Um, I just read it, finished reading Shonda Rhimes' book, Year of Yes. Um, and she mm. has this brilliant part of the book where she speaks about reporters and they come and ask her and they're like asking her about diversity in television and and what it's like to be a person of color in the industry and she's like well yeah that's the dumbest question I've ever heard because I I only know what it's like as a black woman I don't know what it's like as a white man I don't know what it's like as a white woman like I only know what it's like to be myself so I guess as a as someone who's interviewing on a regular basis I was like oh my goodness like I better watch myself but so I guess Short story made long, I guess. Um, I'm not going to ask you what it's like to be a, you know, a minority on screen, but I will ask you why you think it's so crucial for television and media to be like more indicative of our population. Yeah, I think obviously representation matters. And it's just also just something that is as simple as having diverse voices, right? When we're reporting on something, you, you know, you only know what you know based on your experience, your life experience. Mm-hmm. And that vastly different or similar to other people you're working with. So it's just nice to have a different perspective, people from different backgrounds weighing in, because I think that just sort of helps in in terms of telling the story as well. So there's that part. But also, you know, for me growing up, I saw only a handful of people who looked like me on TV. But the first time I saw someone who did, I was like, oh, I can do that too. And I don't know why that made me feel like it gave me permission or it allowed me to dream that way or it allowed me to sort of see that as my future. But it took somebody who looked like me for me to believe that it was possible for me. So I think representation matters in that way, too, is that, you know, there are people who are watching. And if we live in a city that is so diverse, they have to be able to see themselves reflected in what they see on air. Uh, And we owe it to them to also tell those stories. And those stories are only going to come about if we have 
diversity in our newsroom. So while it is wonderful to see people from various backgrounds on air, it's also just as important that the people who make decisions, the people behind the scenes, the people who are coming up with the story ideas and the content are also diverse. And that's where we need the work. Mm, Yes. I actually have seen uh, a couple of posts recently about this. um, Actually, sadly, specifically in Toronto um, about people behind the scenes. Um, So I'm glad you bring that up. But I guess someone who is well-known in Toronto, why do you think it's so necessary to give back to the city in the ways that you do? Well, I always tell people that the only reason why I have a job in the first place is because of the community and because of people in the city and the GTA who watch. So if they don't watch, we don't have a show. We have no ratings and we don't get paid. So uh, at the end of the day, to give back to the people who basically employ me, um, you know, that feels like a no brainer. But also there is just this connectivity that is so important too. you know, you if you live in a community, you want to be able to feel like you're contributing. And I feel like what we do on the show is that we are, you know, a, a, like a public service. We are providing information and that's really important, but it can go beyond that. And if you can help anybody in, in any way, and some people, you know, have the means and some people don't, but there's different ways that you can give. I think that connection is so important. I want people who are watching us to feel connected to me. And I think that can only happen when, you know, we're doing for each other. Mm-hmm. That was so nicely put. So I guess it's kind of tough in the pandemic to ask this question, but you guys are still rolling. You guys are still on the air every day. Um, are there any like notable or big next steps for you uh, looking forward into this new year? Well, it's one of those years in that sort of the time in life where I don't think anybody can sort of plan ahead, right? Just because mm. this has turned all of that upside down. That's part of, I think, the anxiety is all of the uncertainty, not knowing, you know, when things are going to get back to normal. I think the part that's changed in 2021 is it's not so much the if. We know things will get back to normal. There's a vaccine now and and things will happen. It's just the when. Mm -hmm. And I've learned during this pandemic to not think too hard on that because uh, once you start going down that rabbit hole of but, you know, when am I going to see my family and when am I going to see my friends and when am I going to be able to do this again? And what about this? That's when all of the worry sort of sets in. So I try not to to do that. I really try to be present. Mm-hmm. And said that that sometimes comes with like good days and bad days. Right. I think anybody who's human or who's going through whatever it may be, because there's so much happening right now. Mental health is so important and people are struggling. People are really struggling right now. Young people, old people, um, people are losing their businesses, their livelihoods. Um, People have lost people due to the virus, including myself. I lost an uncle to COVID-19. I mean, there's just so much happening. So there are going to be days where, yeah, you just, you feel like crap Mm -hmm. and it's, very sort of overwhelming. Um, But I do try to be a positive person. And I always try to think that, you know, everybody's going through something. We're in this together. It will be over at some point. So until then, just got to keep going, right? Got to keep the routine, got to keep my head above water and um, find ways to smile and, and try to recognize all the good that is happening and try to find joy in even the littlest of things. So if that's a cup of coffee, then great. If that's, you know, dancing to your favorite song 
wonderful. If that's a nature walk, whatever it is, find that joy because I'm, I'm hanging on to everything I can right now. Yeah, no, that was, that, that is perfect because it is so hard to plan, especially, well, really for anyone, but especially for, I don't know, I don't want to center this around myself, but around people that are kind of in this limbo. Um, it's just so different because you don't even know what you're waiting for. Um, and I think that's so indicative right. of so many people. You don't really know like, okay, am I waiting for the economy to get better? Or like, is it just going to go? Like, I don't even know what I'm waiting for. So in, and obviously speaking, I'm so sorry to hear that you have lost someone to COVID because it's just so like devastating. And I guess it just to me as someone who lives in the suburbs who I don't really know a ton of people that have had it. Um, I'm not in like a densely populated area. So it's just like hard for people to, I guess, like conceptualize, like, why am I staying home? Why am I doing this? And like, my family is so, so serious about it, even though we don't know a ton of people, but I actually do like hearing stories about people. And I think that you guys uh, specifically on CB24 are doing like a really good job showing people like, you know what, these people have been really impacted. So for people like myself that are, are not impacted, I guess I'm so grateful for that to say that it's nice to kind of put a face to it and kind of like bring it to reality um, as opposed mm-hmm. to it being, you know, this like abstract thing that we're all scared of. Like it is real and it's, um, it's around us. So like, we can't be like, letting our foot off the gas, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it was. And I think that's exactly what it did for, for my family too. We were following all the rules. We were doing everything we were supposed to do, but you know, COVID fatigue is very real mm-hmm. people in the especially, you know, you started to have your bubbles and I think people were definitely maybe not as careful because, well, the numbers were low and, and until it actually hits your family, until it actually becomes somebody that, you know, you know, it can be just this thing that's out there in the ether that you've heard about. And, you know, you don't want to be scared because that's no way to live either, but it's, it's not really this tangible thing until, until it does, you know, impact your life, even if it's somebody who gets really sick. So it, it took a, a passing in our family um, for us to really go, oh, wow, this, this thing is real. Not only is it real, but the way it happened is it happened so quickly. And you realize that for that to even be a possibility in anybody's life, that something that a virus could take somebody's life so quickly mm-hmm. and so unexpectedly that whatever it is that we're being asked to do, whether it's impacted you or not, it's worth it because we're in this together. We're only going to get out of this together and we need each other in order to make sure that this thing's gone for good. So yeah, it, I mean, it really did bring it home for, for us, especially. Mm-hmm. I really couldn't have said that any better. So thank you. So I guess we can wrap up the interview portion. Um, and then as I mentioned, we I always finish my episodes with some rapid fire questions, uh, which are more light, more fun. So whenever you're ready, we will go with those. Okay, let's let's go. Okay, this is the one I always ask every guest. Uh, if you could hang with any five people, who would it be? Oh wow, five people! Mm-hmm. Like like dinner guests, but like quarantine edition. Oh my. Okay. Um, well, I think you have to put Oprah in there, right? Mm, yeah. Like, put Oprah in there because she's just, she's Oprah. Uh, and I think for anybody who's in broadcast, you know, you just, you look at her and go, okay, she's, you know, the queen. So she has to be 
Uh, Michelle Obama would have to be there as well because uh, I'd love to pick her brain about everything that's happening in the world right now. And especially from her perspective of being in the White House and being married to Barack, like I'd love to hear all of that. I think we're going to have to like have some fun and, you know, lighten the mood a little bit. So maybe we have Alan there Mm -hmm. just to bring in some of that fun stuff. We play some games, some stand-up comedy. So that would, that would be good. Now I need a musician. Um, who do I want there? Oh, wow. We've so many options. Let's go with, um, John Legend. Let's put him in, um, just because he's so talented and then, Oh, maybe he'll bring Chrissy. He'll bring Chrissy. And that's my five right there. And she's so fun, but she's also so real. So She's somebody I could have a real conversation with, with no BS. And she can she also just, cook, so. And she can also cook. This All right, because I forgot we got to eat. Um, yeah, that's my room. But but then again, I, that was just off the top of my head. No, I feel like that's a killer room. That's so good. I feel like a lot of, a lot of good things could come out of there. <laughs> okay, the next question is, what show, I know you said you have a crazy schedule, so I don't know if you're a TV binger at all, but what show, if any, are you binging right now? Oh my goodness. I have watched so much TV. I think, I think too much TV mm-hmm. and I didn't, it was possible to say, but I have watched so many series nonstop. Um, I guess I'm a real reality TV junkie. I love everything reality TV. So I'm watching, um, <laughs> a couple of them right now. Like I'm watching bachelor and, and, you know, all of the ones that everybody watches. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a one show called married at first sight. Oh yeah. I am with this show because they get married at the altar, never seeing one another before, not knowing anything about them, literally get married. And it's a real marriage. So if they don't want to be together afterwards, you have to get a divorce. And just watching their journey is is incredible because you realize how much goes into a relationship as well. And especially with a stranger. That is wild. I have never firsthand watched that show, um, but one of my aunts watches it and she always like tells us the stories and we're just like, oh my God, that is wild. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I love reality TV too. I can't get enough of it. I don't know if you watch Summer House, but it's coming out very soon, the next season. So really excited for that. If okay. you don't watch it, like mm, it's, a, it's a really good, like clear your mind one because there's no intelligence whatsoever <laughs> at all um there's sometimes that's what you need yeah. right you just need to like I don't want I just want to be entertained and so okay summer house yeah they're the smart people like they're all like good smart people from New York but then they get to this like house in the Hamptons on the weekends and they just like they like all intelligence out the window like it's just that's so good <laughs> yeah I would definitely recommend that one um okay. uh next question what is your biggest pet peeve Okay. I have to narrow it down to one. Um, I would say chewing loud. Uh, and it's not just the chewing. It's sometimes it's the, you know, people don't realize when they're, they're that part. Like, I don't think they know what they look like when they're eating because no way they would do what they are doing. If they knew what they look like. like when food's coming out of their mouth, they're like kind of spitting, oh. they're like talking, chewing. And then there's like that sound, the sound of it. 
is just all, all of that is enough for me to, I can't even be at the table. I can't, I have to walk away. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's a good one. I'm yeah. My sister, I'm like, I'm sensitive to that, but my sister like, like can't stand it. Like she is like next level about it. So she's probably similar to you in that sense. <laughs> um, she's like, no, like there's nothing happening about this. Um, Okay, next last question, which is our next question. Um, what is one song that if you heard it playing in like, I don't know, five, 10 years, you'd think like, oh my God, that was so 2020. Oh, a 2020 song. Hmm. I you know, it's funny because I'm I feel like during the pandemic, I've actually gone the other way because I'm trying to listen to songs that put me in a good mood. So I've been listening to a lot of Motown. Oh. So I haven't actually been listening to a whole lot that I would say is current that's representative of of 2020. People have said like anything from like Harry Styles like album just because like it came out while we were like stuck at home or like Dua Lipa. But um, yeah, it was so nice to speak with you. Obviously, um, you're such a pleasure to speak with. So thank you for making some time for us today. Um, And thanks for dropping all your wisdom. I feel like you told us so many great things. So thank you. Well, thanks so much for having me. And and I so appreciate that you and your mom watch. So thank you for doing that too. I'm, I'm always so impressed when young people are watching. So thank you for doing we're a big, this is actually a funny story. I'll tell you quickly before we leave. Um, we have had, my family has CP24 on, not just in the morning, but like all day. Like we're just like a really big, like, new, I don't know. We're like in tune to the news, like on any level. Now it's kind of shifted a bit more to CNN during all this us stuff but um we've Mm -hmm. actually like burnt out like tvs like i don't know if you even know this can happen like with the cb24 yeah it's like actually like (laughs) our cousins would come over they're like what's wrong with your tv like um (laughs) we just watch a lot of news like whatever but um so yeah i guess that's like a testament to i guess how much we have it on the tv I only know because people have told us. We've had many viewers write in and tell us like, you've ruined our TV screens. Um, we're not blaming you, but it's just been imprinted yeah. into the tree. It like just burns out day. or whatever. I don't even know what happens. Yeah. I'm obviously not technological, but yeah. So I guess that's a real testament to our to our viewership. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take yeah. it. I'm sorry about your TV. <laughs> oh, all good. All good. You know, it's always a good reason to get a new one anyway. <laughs> I'm Alia Ballas, and you have been listening to Can't Hang. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you loved today's show, please subscribe and don't forget to leave a rating and a review. Visit canhang.simplecast.com to check out all the incredible people I've interviewed and who's coming soon. Much love goes out to all those who have been posting about Can't Hang on social. Please tag me in your posts at Can't Hang Pod, and please continue to send me suggestions of who you'd love to see in future episodes. I have an incredible lineup, but I'm always looking for people outside my bubble. Please tune in next Thursday and hang with me and my next guest. This show is produced by me, Alia Ballas, and the music was created by Quan. Quan.